Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast, and we're pleased to be joined by a player that has gone through one of the quickest climbs of the professional hockey ladder that you'll probably ever see. Within just over a year and a half, this player has gone from being undrafted overage defense in the WHL to signing a two-way deal with the San Jose Barracuda. After that, parlayed that into an NHL entry-level deal, which he signed this summer. And now he's splitting his time between the San Jose Sharks and the Barracuda. Pleased to be joined by none other than Nick Chichek. Nick, how are we doing? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Pretty good. I think so, all things considered. Um, so before we we kind of get into, you know, your your pathway and your career and stuff, so you're Canadian, but you're of Turkish descent, right? And you played, you represented Turkey um, with, I think, the U-17s. What went into that? Like, what tournament was that? Yeah, so I'm originally from Winnipeg. My dad was born in Turkey, and uh, he came over for university when he was in his early 20s. So when I was 16, I want to say, uh, there's a tournament, the U- European Youth Olympics was going on in Turkey and they wanted to put a team into the A division for hockey. So they were sort of looking around junior leagues, just looking for like Turkish names, people that have Turkish descent. And they, right. I guess they're looking at the Portland <clears throat> website or their roster and sort of came across my name, Chichek, which is pretty familiar Turkish name. So they reached out to my family, my coaches and everything in Portland. And uh, then at that time, I was playing for the Winnipeg Wild in Manitoba. So long story short, it sort of all worked out. And I went over to Turkey for about two weeks to play a tournament. We only ended up playing two games. It didn't go, obviously, amazing. But uh, it was really cool to represent, uh, obviously, a part of my, my history and where I come from. And it was the first time the Turkish side of my family got to see me play hockey live. So that was really cool. And then, yeah, it was an amazing experience, like the whole Olympic scene where you walk out in the soccer field and the crowds going nuts, flags waving everywhere. So that was something I'll remember forever. You know, you mentioned your dad. I know that both your both your parents are professors, right? Correct. Yeah. So with that said, you know, you went the WHL route, but was either the NCAA route or the U sports route kind of something that you considered or, or was pushed on you? Well, for me, I was a pretty big kid growing up. Um, I would say I was definitely above average with everyone I was playing with. So that sort of, I guess, molds you into that junior fit. And then I got drafted by Portland in the seventh round. And my parents sort of told me, like, growing up, it was always like, if your grades slip, like, we're pulling you out of hockey. So that was obviously important. But they said, go chase your dream. If you think this is the route you want to take, go for it. And I mean, obviously, if it doesn't work out, we're expecting you to go to school maybe that might be you sports still playing hockey but you know get your degree and stuff and luckily it sort of all fell into place for me and now I'm here um after you were drafted by Portland uh, you know how big did that step feel you know going into major junior and and taking on that challenge that step felt massive to me mm-hmm. so if I'm being honest when I was younger I wasn't the greatest skater I was a bit tall lanky a little bit of an awkward player which I find a lot of 
you know, tall, young players are like. So my skating definitely had to improve. And I felt that right when I got into my first camp in Portland. Um, and the coaches every year, every off season, they're like, you have to work on your skating. You have to work on your skating. And I took that to heart. And still to this day, every, every off season, my main focus is always getting my edges better, getting my speed up and just focusing on that. So I think that was the biggest step is just getting to that level where you can take those one-on-ones, you can match those speeds with some of those top players in the junior leagues. You know, I think that's probably a very common thing for, for a lot of young players is the skating. Um, what went into that for you? You know, learning, learning how to really improve on that, you know, something that maybe didn't necessarily come naturally. Yeah. So they, there was a skills coach in Portland at the time patches. He, uh, he helped me every day at the rink. He was there. He would come in segments for like two weeks here and there and around the season and we would work before practice, after practice, just like basic things, just inside edge work, outside edge work, just really getting comfortable under my skates. And then I took those and I worked on it when he wasn't there every practice and then take that to the off season, working with my trainers back home. And it just slowly started to see results. And when you start seeing those results, they really feel good. And it makes you just want to keep pushing that skate. And I think that's sort of where it's came from. I've just, I know that that's maybe one of my weaker points in my game. And I've really focused on that. And I think I've improved a lot on it. I talked to a couple of people that you played with growing up and a bunch of them were saying that kind of what you alluded to before, you weren't the best in your age group. You weren't yeah. the, the top, you know, dominant guy or whatnot, but that after you were drafted by Portland, there was some sort of switch with you and you really took it to the next level. Was it kind of like being drafted, like an aha moment for you? Like sort of like, wow, I could really take this to, you know, play in the WHL or whatever, maybe. Yeah, for me, like me and my family, when draft day came, we weren't fully expecting like, okay, you're getting drafted like a lot of like my friends were. They knew they were going to go in some high rounds and stuff. So for me, it was just I was really grateful that Portland took that chance on me. And then when I got to camp and realized, okay, like I need to put some work in, but I'm really not that far off. I think that's when it's like, okay, we just got to bear down and really work hard and get to the places we want to be. And yeah, like my buddies probably told you, I definitely wasn't one of the best players coming out of Winnipeg in my draft year. Like that was a pretty good draft year. So I'm pretty proud of myself and my support group that's helped me throughout this journey and got me to be the player I want to be and also the person I want to be. I also heard that when you were around the time you were in the Bantam draft that you were a massive fan of Quiznos. Can you can you confirm or deny this? And if so is there one in San Jose that you can have Carbonero Wednesdays at? Carbonero Wednesdays, man. Me and my boys would go every Wednesday in high school. We'd hop in my car. I drove an old like 1999 Acura MDX, seven seats, and we'd pack them all in right to Quiznos for a good Carbonero Wednesday. And we did that religiously for like a couple of years, but uh, it's faded off a little bit. I got to watch the diet a little more now that I'm playing professional hockey, but definitely when I'm back in Winnipeg, when the boys are together, it's usually a spot we go once or twice for sure. Why do you think you were overlooked, you know, you know, coming up through junior and then, you know, you're not drafted and yet here you are. I mean, in some ways it's a very fast path. You're 22 years old. You're already in the NHL. But, you know, were you a late bloomer? What was what went into that? I think for sure you nailed it. Like I was a late bloomer, like even coming into junior, I didn't make Portland till I was 17. And even that year, I got sent back home to Winnipeg to play junior A for about half the season. And then my 18 year old season, 
I didn't play full minutes. Like I was sort of in a rotation with a couple other D for the first half of the year. And then that second half of the year, when I was 18, I sort of broke out and I started playing every game, every game. And I had D men that were with me on my team in Portland that really helped me. And I could focus on what they were doing and work with them. And then my 19 year old year, which like you said, like that's pretty late, obviously those elite junior players, they're taking over the league at 17 and then getting drafted right away. So when I was 19, that was like my first full season. And then that's obviously when COVID hit. So that was tough, especially because we had a good team. We were leading the whole league and that was really fun. So then coming into my 20 year old year, like I knew a lot of people's careers are going to take a change, no matter how good of a player you are or what situation you're in, just because of what was going on. And we had a really short runway. We had 24 games in my 20-year-old season. So I sort of told myself, just give everything you can every day. There's nothing to save it for. It's super short season, and let's see where it can take us. And I thought I had a good season at my overage year, which was obviously what I needed. And then San Jose took a chance on me in the AHL, which was awesome. Getting that AHL two-way, you know, if you kind of just take us through that whole um, experience, you know, like you go from a player that, you know, was at one point just trying to hang in junior and yeah. now you have, you're starting to get some pro uh, interest, uh, you know, from, you know, second highest level league in the world. Yeah. So for me, when I was coming into the Barracuda my first year, like I sat down with my parents and everything. I'm, obviously, we knew there's a possibility, like you can get sent down to the East Coast, like you might not be playing a lot. So the biggest thing for me is coming into that year was just like, let's try to get into some games. Let's show them what we can do. And then luckily, in my case, at least, there was some COVID on the Sharks at the beginning of the season. So a lot of players on entry levels that were with the CUDA got called up. So it sort of opened up a little space for me for like two weeks or so, three weeks. And I just took it and ran with it. And I think I earned the trust of my coaches down low and showed that I can be a player at this level and I can be dominant at this level and that's what I did and we just kept going with it uh what was it like to play for Roy Sommer there you know kind of a guy who's you know he'd been there for 24 years with the Sharks in, in that development role yeah obviously he's like a legend uh coming into camp everyone's talking about how Roy is known as the guy to take those AHL players and upgrade them to NHL contracts and really develop guys. That was one of the main reasons I chose to sign in San Jose with the Barracuda, just because of their track record of how many contracts they flipped from A to NHL. And I knew that Roy just appreciated hard work and that I had to work my bag off every day and show him that, like, I want to be that guy that you trust that can get me to the next level. And I think he helped me a lot, along with Michael Chason and the other coaches on that staff. Obviously, it was a bit of a tough year for us last year. We didn't have the greatest record, but I think I developed as a player and as a person, and it's got me to where I am this year. What's it been like? Uh, okay, wait. So before I get to it, obviously, I'm going to ask you about playing under Eric Carlson, but I have to ask you: yeah. How old do you think you were when he won his first Norris? Oh, I was probably I was young, for sure. I I would say like ten, maybe. Yeah, you're, like, you're 11. 11, there you go. 2011, so yeah, I was I was young. Like, okay, come on. Be honest. This isn't going anywhere, just the internet. Like, how crazy was it to see Eric Stahl? Oh, oh my God, wrong player. Eric <laughs> Carlson, when you walk in, like, to get your locker room stall, like, what was that like? 
it's it is really a surreal moment obviously he's like you can say he's a living legend and i get to play shifts with him i get to chat with him in the dressing room he gives me pointers we shoot the crap all the time like we have a lot of fun together and it's just mesmerizing watching him play the things he can do out there and how calm he is with the puck without the puck how smooth he is on his edges it's fun to watch and also it it gives you ideas as a hockey player and especially as a d-man how i can improve my game like obviously we're not the same type of player but just picking up little things he does can has definitely helped me so far and is hopefully going to continue to help me become a better player and another guy too like mark edward vlasic historically yeah. and over the last you know half decade decade one of the best defensive defensemen in the game What's it been like kind of, I know you played with a pairing um, alongside him the other night. What's it been mm-hmm. like to, to be on his team and, and pick apart things from his game? Yeah, obviously one of the great players in San Jose history. I mean, 1,200 games. He's won Olympic gold, stuff like that. And growing up, watching him playing on like Team Canada, being that shutdown guy, like every time the top line comes out, he's going out. That's something like for me as a player, like I'm more defensive-minded, obviously. That's something you take pride in. So it's super cool to be able to play with him and be able to talk with him and see how he enjoyed those experiences, how he took on those experiences. And again, just watching him play, watch what the little tricks he has can really help improve my game and on the defensive side for sure. When you came to the Barracuda, what areas did you realize that I really need to key in on this? And, you know, this is trying to be the difference between whether I make it to the NHL or even whether I stick in the AHL. Yeah. Again, I'm going to go back to skating. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the jump from junior to the pro level is another jump. I wouldn't say, honestly, it's as big as that like minors to mm-hmm. uh, junior jump. But this, it's faster. It's physical. The AHL is like everyone wants to get to the NHL, obviously. So it's a physical league. Everyone's flying around. So for me, I knew I had to work on my edges, had to work on my skating, like getting my gaps tight coming off the offensive blue line. And then physicality, like I'm a big guy. I like to use my body and there's a lot of big boys down in the AHL. So just being able to handle them in front of the net, like kill plays in the corner. I knew that if I could get those things down and dominate those areas of my game in the AHL, I I sort of knew and thought it would translate to the next level of the NHL. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. What's the adjustment like, you know, coming, you know, Portland's obviously a a pretty big city, but coming to the Bay area and, you know, no, a lot of players sometimes it's even just the cost of living uh, on oh, an yeah. AHL deal could be uh, could be a challenge. For sure. I mean, obviously it's a bit of an expensive place to live. Super cool area. Like there's a lot of history, like Silicon Valley stuff like that, and then obviously NASA and all these huge companies around. So it's interesting. Just like you're driving in the ring, it's like oh, there's the Google headquarters. It's sort of cool to see. But yeah, like it's expensive, for sure. Last year, me and three roommates we rented a house so it was a little cheaper when it came down to it which was nice and i'm again in a house this year i love the setup and it's been great what was the process of getting the nhl deal like how did that come together and you know at the end of last year did you think you were gonna you had earned you know a nhl entry-level deal like that you would be approached for one yeah so Last year, I had a pretty good year in the AHL. I thought I was doing my job. I was helping the team as best I could. And I felt, well, me, my agents, my family, we all felt that I proved that I can take my game to the next level. 
So we thought that I did deserve an NHL contract and we wanted to stay in San Jose. They gave me all this opportunity. They showed trust in my game and the player I've become. So when <clears throat> my agent called saying San Jose's offered you an NHL contract, like it was probably the greatest day of my life. I mean, those are things you dream of growing up, like th that phone call. So it was really mind blowing and calling my parents after it was pretty emotional, but I mean, it was a lot of hard work and the hard work's continuing. So it's been great. And I'm just, I'm glad I got that opportunity. And then they have that trust and saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be an NHL player. Hopefully. What was your first signing bonus purchase besides Quiznos? <laughs> oh, my first signing bonus purchase. Uh, I bought, I bought a duffel bag like most people do a duffel was, bag what do you yeah. kill mccarr kill mccarr's first purchase was slurpee and nick t-chex was a duffel bag <laughs> well you're saying not quiznos i mean my first purchase was probably a starbucks coffee if i'm being honest but true true yeah, my first very technical. big purchase was uh, a nice duffel bag that i i travel with now every time we're on the road and just sort of reminds you of like obviously it's nice to have something a little expensive and that you can show off a little bit but at the same time looking at it every time i know like I know what I did to get that bag, and I know what I did to get here. So I'm just trying to keep it going. Obviously, with San Jose having the NHL and AHL team, you don't need to pack too much too often if you're going up and down. How nice is that to have both the NHL and AHL team in the same city, whether it's starting at camp when you get to know everyone and then you know carrying to the year if you're ever going up or down the elevator? Yeah, I would say it's a huge advantage. Like I was talking to Couture actually a couple couple days ago and he was talking about when he first came to the league and there I'm pretty sure he's sitting there in Worcester and like yeah. that trip going back and forth. He said he would fly on game day up to the NHL, play a game, fly back, have play another game in the AHL the next day. Like stuff like that's really tough. And it's not only tough physically, but mentally, like you gotta get dialed in for that game. So just being able to like we practice in the same rink as the Barracuda. So just being able to walk down the hallway if you need to is definitely an advantage, I would say. And yeah, like you get to know the NHL guys better. You get to know the AHL guys better. Like you run into a lot of guys downtown in San Jose and stuff. So it builds connections, I think. You know, uh, Barracuda this year opened up a brand new arena. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it was a big deal for them. You know, what was that like for the players, you know, just in terms of having those upgraded amenities? No, it's always awesome. I mean, everything's brand new. The facility's amazing. And it's nice to sort of have our own game rink. Like last year, we were playing in the SAP Center. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a massive building. And our crowds were obviously not anywhere near the NHL crowd. So the barn felt empty a lot, which is tough to play in sometimes. You know, you don't really feel that home ice advantage. And you can't get that energy going from the crowd. So having like a more tighter atmosphere with what feels like a lot more people in the stands and you can feel the energy coming. It helps in the game and it makes it a lot more fun. All right. Two quick questions for you here and then we'll let you go. Nick, thanks for joining us, but I, I got to know what was your kind of aha moment when you're in the, in the NHL, like your first kind of like, okay, this is crazy. Whether it was playing against someone or, you know, seeing some of your teammates or whatever it may be, what was that kind of pinch me moment? Yeah. So my first game was in Vegas. So I would say that was, a crazy aha moment like you step out there obviously for my rookie lap and you get on the ice and the music's so loud that the ice is shaking under your feet and the crowd like the stands are already packed there's people like they have those dancers dancing at the glass and stuff you're like wow 
this is really showtime for sure. And I would say the nerves kicked in a little there. And then after warmups, you get back in the room, you're like, okay, like let's dial it back in a little bit. Like that was obviously an amazing experience, but we got a hockey game to play <laughs> and then line up for my first face off. And like, I got Jack Eichel across from me. So it's like, okay, there's another aha moment. Like this is one of the great players in the NHL right now, an elite player all around game. So that was like, yep, like we're here. We got to show like we can do it for sure. But no, it was an amazing experience. I couldn't really imagine other than a home game, an away game that would have been a better debut. Like that arena is insane. Last one. What is the weirdest thing you've ever autographed? Oh, weirdest thing I've ever autographed. Or, or been asked to autograph, too, because you maybe didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, Obviously, there's the basics, jerseys, hats, shirts. Uh, Like, I've autographed a baby before, but it was like... A baby. Yeah, like, the parent held the baby out, and I sort of signed the shirt. I would say that was probably... The most interesting that's insane uh, signing ever yeah i didn't sign the actual baby okay shirt, but it was sort of funny how the parent just sort of held the baby over the railing and i just quickly scribbled on the shirt <laughs> if you got some skin that would have made for a really bad bath time anyways <laughs> thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it nick chichek of the san jose sharks for joining us about his path to the ahl and now to the nhl thanks so much man we appreciate it no thanks guys it's been great all right, so let's do the rest of the show now. But before before we do that, man, Nick Chichek, like he is like if there's a friend of the show, all those guys are acquaintances. I think Nick is actually a friend of the show. Like that guy's a beauty. I love. I mean, I, I'm the biggest Nick Chichek fan there is now. Well, it's it's a great example of a player that right like you know never had anything handed to him. Like you know he was up against you know pretty much anything a young player could could face. Right, and he made it. 22 years old he's in the nhl and, he, and he's holding his own more than holding his own so crazy um, it's just a great story for sure absolutely all right let's get off to the other topics around the age shall we want to get to the first one is goaltending prospect jesper Wallset. um off to a very 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 strong stretch here with the iowa wilds He's the Wilds' top goalie prospect, and he, as I said, he's been red hot lately. He had an 894 save percentage in his first 10 games, but then in his last nine games, Wallstat has posted a 927 save percentage. 20-year-old goalie drafted 20th overall in 2021 by Minnesota, was named to the upcoming AHL All-Star game. He was listed as a blue-chip prospect in the Hockey News Prospects Unlimited issue very big, you know, turnover from the first half of the year to now going from, you know, well below average goaltending to elite level of the second half. Pat actually spoke to both Jesper and Iowa's head coach, Tim Army yesterday. And you got some insight on kind of what's been maybe contributing or, or what's kind of been going on through his first season here in North America. Yeah. So just uh, to walk it right through, like first, you know, he comes over, goes to training camp with the Minnesota wild. And he admitted that was, you know, again, another kind of pinch me moment. You're in camp there, Marc-Andre Fleury's, one of your fellow goaltenders, you know, right. there's Kaprizov, right, Zuccarello, all these guys that, you know, you, you've seen on television, now you're, you're skating side by side for them. And he admitted, like, for him, it was like, I thought I knew what it took. It's a whole other level beyond what I thought, right? And, and he's interesting in that sense. It's not like he 
came up through a weak program. He was in over in the SHL last year, Sweden, you know, playing for uh, Lilia, one of the top, top uh, programs over there. And uh, he was in the world junior championship this past summer uh, in that for Sweden. So, you know, he, he, he checked a lot of those boxes of what you'd want to see from a young prospect, but it was a whole nother level. And, you know, then I spoke with army and one of the areas they really keyed in on was his practice habits. Um, they didn't feel that he practiced properly. And by that, uh, they mean, you know, he's out there, he's working hard, he's doing the things you're supposed to be doing, but it's the details, right? Like following a play through, following a rebound, um, you know, on a drill, not just sort of, you know, fading out of the drill, right? Like he, they, they want you to start to finish 100% intensity. Um, you know, and I think it's another case where you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, he admitted like, you know, I'm not necessarily the best practice player. Um, yeah, I love games. I love the competition. Practice was never something that I ever really gravitated toward. Um, and he had to learn the importance of that. Uh, you get into this level, right? Like you're, you're one call away from the NHL. Um, he uh, really took to heart, you know, his, his partner there in St. McIntyre in Iowa, um, seeing how he practiced, you know, and, and McIntyre has been a pro now for almost 10 years. Um, so it was um, really insightful. You know, he's very self-aware uh, for a young, young player. Um, I think he's really taking it all to heart. And uh, he also acknowledged that the off ice adjustments, huge uh, coming over from Sweden, it's a different lifestyle. Now he's in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, even, you know, this week, for example, he was, you know, going through his driving test. You know, and all those little things like people don't think about, like that uh, go into player development. It's things like that. Now, you know, you're able to get around town a little bit more easily. You're not getting rides off uh, your buddies. So um, it's a whole sort of on and off ice um, uh, regimen that really does come into play for young players. And I, I think, you know, from my think back to how it used to be maybe 10 years ago, it's night and day in terms of the resources and, and just the awareness that NHL and AHL clubs have in recognizing what they need to do to give the players the most, uh, the best chance to succeed. Absolutely. Let's get on to our prospect of the week. And this week it is defenseman Thomas Harley of the Texas stars and the Dallas stars organization, 21 year old left-handed defenseman drafted 18th overall by Dallas in 2019. He got 20 points in 36 games this year. Maybe not the most eye-popping numbers, but if you dig a little deeper, it tells a much you know, more detailed story of Harley's year. According to Instat Analytics, Harley's logging a team-high 20 minutes and 40 seconds a game. He's been deployed heavily at even strength, where he's posted a 60% Corsi and expected goals for percentage. At 5-on-5, five five, as I was saying, it's where the bulk of kind of where he's playing. His 0.33 5 on 5 primary points per game breaks him third amongst under-22 um, defensemen and contrary to years past Texas is deploying him on the penalty kill quite a bit it's a very very different style of deployment in terms of the way that they're using him in the past it was kind of more power play usage and and just doing you know the offensive things that come naturally to him but it's been different this year for Thomas and I, and you know I think it's paid off I would think you know I, a lot of this is by design right like their message to him when they sent him from Dallas um, in training camp was, we know you can produce offensively at the AHL level and, you know, quite possibly even at the NHL level. 
But what you need to do is you need to learn to play away from the puck. You need to defend with more intensity. Um, cutbacks were a huge area um, of, of the focus for him. Um, you know, he's an excellent skater, um, but learning how, how to read opposing rushes. Um, just things that you've been up until this point able to get by on skill because you're always – just superior to, to, to the opposition, right? But now at this level, it's not enough. And more or less, I, I spoke with Neil Graham, the head coach there. Um, and there have been a lot of good success stories uh, with the Texas development program through the last uh, few years with him. Don't worry about your 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 offensive play. Go there. We're, you're here to, to focus on your defensive play, your play away from the puck. If you do that, that's what's going to get you to the NHL. We know you can produce offensively. We want to see you play the penalty kill. We want to see you handle that five-on-five time that you mentioned. We want you to play heavy minutes. We want you there in the last two minutes of a game to protect a lead. Things like that. Um, you know. So I think they, they took some of that pressure off the shoulders to produce offensively and said just handle things on your end. The rest will come later. And not so coincidentally – Eventually, it allowed him to um, produce offensively because so much obviously um, comes from you know your your defensive play generates uh, play going the other way. So it was a really I think he really bought into it, and you know it, it's not always easy to get young players to to not only buy into it but just even understand what they have to do. And he's done both and. As a result, he's going to the All-Star game next month. And uh, I won't be surprised to see him up in Dallas. Maybe not this year, just given uh, where the, the NHL club is right now in the standings. But uh, certainly, I think next year he makes a great push uh, for a full-time job at the Dallas Stars. I think this is the best thing that could have happened to him, really. You know, you, you mm-hmm. look at last year, he, he sort of split it between Dallas and Texas, like the NHL and NHL team, which is great. But the thing... The thing is with that is when when the mistakes or, or sorry, when the slumping kind of creeps in or whenever you're not feeling your best, bad habits can kind of form and the confidence be all time low. Getting that year this year where you're playing not just, you know, all situations, but really focusing on those little details you mentioned, I think it's going to do a great, great benefit to him when he makes that jump to Dallas. And also next year, you know, Ryan Suter's year older. Um, I don't know when Essa Lindell's contract expires offhand, but the point being there, there's going to be room for him to, to jump up there and get into the top four, but he'll be better served and have a better chance to do so given that he'll have this year of, you know, heavy duty mileage and whatnot. And full credit to Dallas. I mean, the easiest thing to do, you know, with a, with a top prospect like that is put him in the NHL. You know, it looks like he's made it success and, and cross your fingers and hope for the best, but they're taking a long-term view for what's best for him, uh, to develop properly. And, you know, the, the goal there is they don't want him to be successful necessarily this year in the NHL. It's about having him there for the next 10 years and, and making him uh, an NHL fixture. And um, I think they're really taking uh, the long-term view. Um, and, and it's really, I think, the smart way to go about it. And now our, te- our, our team of the week this week is the Manitoba Moose, the AHL affiliate of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we'll get right to it. Uh, Declan Chisholm, a uh, good young defenseman. What have you seen from him? Yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan of Chiz's game. Um, you know, he's 23 left-handed defenseman that has got amazing agility. Edge work that that you can't teach, frankly. It's one of those things that even when it, in junior, maybe he wasn't having the best numbers or, or whatever it may be, 
he's kind of the, he was kind of the guy where the late round flyer, I'm sure scouts were drooling over that edge work, the smoothness, um, the way that his body moves. So last year was the entry level contract. Um, you know, he's fifth in America, sorry, American Hawk League defenseman scoring 26 points in 35 games. But above all right now, you know, in sort of projecting where he, he's going to line up or, or where he's on the Jets' depth chart, there's a log jam there, okay? You know, Villy's on, on the way out, or sorry, on, looking on the outside, looking in. Stanley's almost healthy. It's kind of hard to foresee what that is. But the way that Chiz plays the game as a puck transporter, as a, you know, power play quarterback potential, but also someone that's taking pride and trying to get better in his own end. I see him as a prospect that maybe the Jets are dangling as a carrot, you know, as the trade deadline approaches and, and they try to load up for this year. I think other teams would be very interested in him. And I, I, I think in another organization, he'd be playing some games this year. And I think that next year he'll, he'll definitely, you know, if it's with the Jets hard and waivers might come into play, I don't really know how that will work. But point being, I think if not this year with another organization, assuming he was traded, um, De- Declan Chisholm's pretty soon to be ready for a lengthier audition. Last year he was in games. He looked good. He looked really good. And then, you know, you're over the last number of years, uh, the Jets have had some real success stories uh, or at least uh, potential uh, coming up through the moose. You think, uh, obviously, Billy uh, Hanella, but, uh, you know, you even go to Jonathan Kovacevic. They, they lost him on waivers, but NHL player now. Leon Gawak, uh, another fifth rounder, just like Chisholm. Um, the Jets have really shown a knack uh, for developing some of those later round picks down in the American Hockey League, and if not getting them to the NHL, at least uh, putting them on the brink. Absolutely. And you mentioned Kova Savage there. Like, you know, you have to give the Moose the credit for, I mean, not entirely, it's half the player, half him. But the Moose do definitely deserve some credit in the way that Kobe did develop. And, you know, it didn't work out here in Winnipeg. He's claiming off waivers. But the season he's having this year, like what he was able to do under Eric Dubois and that team as a, as a whole is something that the Moose do deserve quite a bit of credit for. But Leon, so last year, Chiz got in the game, Kobe got in the game, Sandberg, Hanela, Hanela. Leon was the only one that didn't. And I actually, I remember I interviewed him last year after the year and, and kind of mentioned that to him. And, and, you know, he was honest. Like he said, you know, it was tough, you know. But Mark Morris, the head coach, said he thinks Leon's right in there, um, kind of for contention. And then this year, I wouldn't say it's it's a down year. Um, it's been a little bit different. So he's not playing. Declan Chisholm and Leon Gavanka actually were a pairing for the, the entirety of last year and were the, if not the best, at least top three in the league in terms of that defense pairing, the leverage their skills together to, to move in transition through the neutral zone and, and also to kind of parlay plays in, in the offensive zone. But anyways, with Leon, I've always kind of struggled with this player. It's hard to get a read on in the sense that he has poise. He, he has a heavy shot. There's, you know, maybe he could service on, on a power play too, but I don't know necessarily if, if he's dynamic enough, especially especially with there being more five forward power play units. Um, I'm a little less sure of that. But I think with Leon, the poise is good. He's got good instincts and whatnot, but I don't know if I'm really, I don't know if I'm convinced, um, as I mentioned. So he's 23 as well. He's on an, a one-year two-way deal this year. Went through waivers, unclaimed. I don't know. I, I think he's a good AHL player and, and will be a good hockey player for a long time. I just don't know if I see him, not even just in a Jets uniform. I could see him playing a couple games for, for some team, but I'm not really sold on him being a, a full-time NHL player, at least at this point. Up front, uh, now we move, and uh, you look at a couple of uh, first-year players with the Moose. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Nikonen, uh, Daniel Turgeson, uh, what have you seen from them so far? Yeah, it's, it's funny because so for I'll start with Torgerson. Um, you know, he's 20 years old, seven points in 34 games, numbers don't jump off the page. But last year at the tail end of the year, he came over um, and, and started playing some games with the Moose. And, you know, I saw, I go, man, that, that guy's going to be a player. And I think e- even this year throughout a bit of, you know, the Moose have been out of sync a bit this year. Hmm. It's tough. So, yeah, they don't have Jimmy Lady, their captain. Jonathan Kovacevic left. There's been, now, and for the first little bit, Lambert and Lucius were there. So they had to do a rotation a bit, getting those first round picks in. You can't have the same amount of cohesiveness. I think in the second half of the year where Mark Morrison has an ability to kind of get combos that work, try things out a bit more consistently, guys are going to gel more. And I think Torgerson is one of those guys. He needs stability to continue. But he's got a big frame, protects the puck really well, really good in tight and down low. I see him as a guy that – I see him as a, as a utility player, a third, mm-hmm. fourth-line guy that you really learn to love, kind of like David Gustafson who – I know he's doing the best right now with um, the Jets, but I, I still think he's got some good hockey ahead of him and will be a very, very viable NHL player um, in the near future. So I think Torgerson's kind of in that camp as well. He's a very fundamentally sound player, 200-foot player in the truest sense. And as I said, protects the puck really well, good on the wall, has all those characteristics that the Jets really value in their wingers, especially in the bottom six. So I think he'll figure it out, but he's raw. He's only 20. This is still his first full pro season. I think that maybe other players in his age would maybe still be back in Sweden playing pro hockey. He's got to adjust a bit. The schedule's on easy. And yeah, so did I expect more? I'll be honest. I, I kind of thought he'd have a bit more points, for example, at this point. But it's adjustment. And I and as I said, the second half of the year will be really um, telling. And and Nikonen, who you mentioned there as well, um, nine points, 35 games, fourth round picked in, in 2019. He's also his first full season. He came over as well last year. Um, I think at the at the minimum, he'll be a, a very good penalty kill player in the NHL. Um, I'm not sure what he will really be. And by that, I mean an everyday NHLer or a guy that just kind of plays games. And then, you know, we see him back in Europe in a couple of years. But I think there's a lot to like there. He's a fast player. He's still kind of coming into his body and still, you know, molding into his frame. So I think that there's another example of a raw player there. But Nikonen's got that smarts. And I think that what I'll give the Jets a lot of credit for is a lot of the guys, whether it's college or European European ranks, so later draft picks or college undrafted signings, later picks, whatever it may be, they target guys that have very active sticks very sound fundamentals and very high hockey IQ. And now we're probably saying, oh, every scout targets that. Yes, but I think the Jets value that more than, say, maybe certain like boomer bust kind of guys in fifth, sixth rounds or whatever. Maybe they took Chiz, they took Gavanka. Like they're not, like I'm not making the Jets sound old school. It may seem like it. My point being is they find really good defensive players. And when I say that, they find players that their little micro skills, we want to call them, translate quite well to the next level. And I think Nikonen's another sound example of that. Um, just before we kind of, you know, ended off, I should make a quick note about Arvid Holman, Oscari Salmonen, two goaltenders, um, you know, we brought them up actually a couple episodes ago. Their numbers aren't as flashy as, as they were before. Um, but you know, Arvid Holm, six foot four, very good frame. He's still growing into it as well. I think he's someone that if he could get the consistency kind of going in more of a steady role, he could be an option, um, as a, as a two, or maybe as a solid three, one time Oscari Salmonen as well, still kind of a, a, adjusting, adapting, but it, in short spurts, I've liked what I've seen. I think he's someone that could have another strong second half. And, you know, even going beyond, I think next year I could would not be surprised if he came out of the gate 
the gate flying once he has a season kind of under his belt. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that's kind of what I think about the most, most interesting guys. Lucius and Lambert are gone. So um, it's not the most juicy kind of prospects there, but those are some notable guys. Um, but yeah, enough of hearing me talk about the moose enough of hearing me speak and Pat, um, we should probably wrap the show here while we can. Thank you again to Nick Chichek. He is everyone else in the Queens of the show. Nick is a friend of the show, maybe a best friend of the show. We'll try to have him on again one time, you know, maybe, maybe we're not hoping for a if he's back with Barracuda or something like that. Um, uh, but whatever it may be, thank you to Nick for coming on Pat. Thank you for joining me and tolerating me and for everyone listening much appreciated. And we'll, we'll see you guys next week.